Well, hello to my favorite people on the planet, and that is Chase Oakers. It is uh, really good to see those of you who are in the audience here at our Legacy Campus as well as uh, everybody online. I can kind of see you imagination-wise anyway, wherever you are. And uh, in, in a fun day for me, right, because I got to be part of the band. And I've always wanted to be one of the cool kids. I've always wanted to be part of the band, especially the cowbell player, because it doesn't get any better than that, right? And, and my wife, Christy, is so lucky. She gets to home, go home every day with a cowbell player. And, uh, and ladies, sorry, the cowbell player is taken, but, you know, that's the way it is. Um, well, hey, today we are going to finish out our series, uh, One Minute After You Die. But let me say a word about next week as we start a new series called Solid, which is really about becoming the kind of person we all want to be, somebody who's solid, that no matter what is happening in our world, right, we can, we'll be okay because we're solid. And so we're going to say, well, what makes those kind of people those kind of people? So that's that series. And we're going to kick it off with Mother's Day. And all I can say, guys, if you've got a mom or you've got a, a lady in your life, whether she's a mom or not, or certainly if you are a husband and a dad and there's a mom in your life, uh, if you come next week, come as a family, we've got you covered. You'll be like a hero and your wife or mom will love it. So I look forward to seeing you there. But today we are finishing out our series one minute after you die. And so far we've talked about the fun part of that topic, which is what happens, uh, what, what is heaven like? And it's been, if you've missed it, I encourage you to go back and watch it because it's really amazing what we know about what God has planned for us. But today we're talking about the other place. Uh, today we're talking about judgment. Today we're talking about hell. You can't really talk about one minute after you die without talking about that. But still, it's just hard to talk about. It's hard to think about. It's kind of like a, a number of years ago, and I still have dreams about this. One of those things I have dreams about. I, I was flipping through the channels, you know, with a clicker, and I and I happened to time it just right where I I turned on this channel that had some kind of medical thing, but they were showing an operation, like a live operation, and it was an operation where they were doing a a face transplant, and I turned right when they pulled off this person's face, like just pulled it off. And it was like, ah, like, and I just turned it, but you can't unsee that, right? Like once you see that, you can't unsee that. It's great. It can happen, but it's like, did I really need to see that? Or, you know how sometimes, sometimes people will, maybe there's something rotten or really stinky or really disgusting. And they'll be like, Hey man, come here. You got to smell this. It'll make you throw up. And you're like, no, I'm good. I don't need to No, man. Come smell this. It's disgusting. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I believe you. Like, I don't need to know that. Well, today is a little bit like that, because as we talk about hell, it's just one of those topics that's hard to think about, that's hard to talk about, uh, which I think is why for a lot of people, uh, even who are Jesus followers, it's it, it's it's one of those parts of theology of what the Bible teaches that is typically thrown out first because it's just a hard reality and and it's a little troubling. It's like, well, why would a good God send people to hell. Like, is that even congruent? And, and I'm sure a lot of people listening right now would be like, yeah, like I, I've never been able to work that out. Like in, in for some of you who are new to Christianity, certainly, or who maybe are, are not, you'd say, well, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I'm just checking it out. Then it, this may be one of those parts of Christianity that really is troubling for you. That's keeping you from crossing the line of faith and saying, yeah, I'm in. 
is that question. Why would a good God send people to hell? I mean, if the Bible really teaches that, that's messed up. I don't get it. And so today we're going to talk about that. And we're going to look at what the Bible teaches about hell and what it'll be like and, and get some perspective on why, how you can reconcile a good God in a place like hell. And, and there's different ways that you could approach it, even as we look at the Bible. Like, you could approach it primarily based on your feelings. And just say, okay, I'm going to base what I believe about hell based on what I feel like is right. What I feel like uh, is, is a good way for God to dispense judgment. And, and a good way for a loving God to, to handle that kind of thing. And that's, you can do that. That's an option. Another thing you can do as you think about this topic is just stick with what you've always known. Stick with what you've always heard. Uh, and just say, you know what? I, nobody's going to tell me any different. I know, you know what the, well, I know what all that's about. And that's another option, but that's not the option I'm going to encourage. Uh, the, the way we're going to approach this is to take a fresh look, to say, you know what, I'm going to suspend feelings. I'm going to, you know, just sort of put to the side what I've always heard or what I've always been taught. And this is what I've done over the last few weeks looking at this topic, is take a fresh look at what the Bible says about this topic of hell. And let me encourage you to stay with it. It's going to be a journey, sometimes a little difficult journey. So stay with me through that. And then we'll get to some perspective at the end that is really, really important. And I believe you'll be really glad you hung with me. So let's get to it as we look at, again, just take a fresh look at what the Bible says. There's a lot, of course, we don't know about hell, but there's some things that we do know. One thing we know is that we know the Bible clearly teaches the existence of a place of judgment called hell. And there's really no way around that. You, there, uh, the Bible talks about it a lot, about this ultimate place of judgment uh, it, that that people that some people will encounter. And and yet some people I've heard will say, well, yeah, I know the Bible talks about that. But, you know, Jesus, like he's my guy, like Jesus, he didn't talk about that. Like I said, but if you if that's where you're coming from, you just haven't ever read what Jesus taught because he actually taught about hell and talked about hell more than any other single person in the Bible. For example, Matthew 25, 41, he's looking forward to, this is, this is the final judgment called the great white throne judgment. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. And at the end of that judgment, those still holding on to the guilt of their sin, it says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Later, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. That's Jesus talking about that. And it really makes sense if you think about it that Jesus would talk a good bit about hell because one of the primary reasons he came to this planet, because the Bible teaches that Jesus is God who's always existed. So God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity. Jesus is God the Son. He came here, took on humanity, lived among us, died on the cross for the sins of the world on a rescue mission to keep us from facing the judgment and the consequences, hell, that we deserve. So it's typical, right? If he came on a rescue mission to keep us from somewhere that we would otherwise go to, that he would talk about that. And he did. Then you think, okay, well, if that's if Jesus is being honest and and the Bible is, you know, talks about it, then what is the Bible say about hell what's it gonna be like and we're gonna think about that a little bit kind of like this guy the thinker rodan's thinker Have you ever seen that sculpture uh, there's a number of them around and have you ever wondered what the thinker is thinking about you know maybe he's thinking about you know there he is in the middle of the park like oh no where are my clothes 
I'm naked. How did this happen? What am I going to do? How am I going to get out of here without anybody seeing me? This is awful. It's like one of those dreams people have. You go to school in your underwear. You know, it's like, ah, you know, but that's not what he's thinking about. Uh, It's actually part of a bigger. The original uh, sculpture is part of a much bigger piece of work called the gates of hell. And the thinker is right up here as he's looking down at all these people entering into hell. And he's contemplating that reality. And that's what we're going to do for a little bit. In, in this next part of the message, it's going to be a little bit difficult as we look at what the Bible says about hell. So let's be willing, though, to kind of think about it. So you may even want to assume the position, you know, the thinker, position, keep your clothes on. But, you know, assume the position as we look at how the Bible describes hell. And, and this is what we know is that hell will be a horrific reality for those who experience it. And here's how the Bible talks about it. The primary word in the New Testament used to describe hell is Gehenna, which doesn't mean much to us. But if we were alive 2000 years ago in the world of the Bible, in the land of the Bible, everybody would know that because it refers to the Valley of Hinnom in Jerusalem, which is just the south gate. And it was their dump. It was their garbage dump. And there were fires. It was a terrible place. There were fires always burning there, never stopped burning. And that's where they dumped their garbage. It's where they dumped human waste. It's where they dumped animal carcasses and even criminals that died on crosses for those kind of crimes. Uh, Jesus was spared. His body was spared that uh, thing. But normally somebody who died, uh, who died on crucifixion and criminals like that would be thrown into Gehenna, would be thrown into that place. And so it was a place of maggots and stink and flies and fire and heat. And it was an awful place. And, the, and, and God chose to use that just to help us understand and help people who lived around there understand what this place would be like. That, yeah, it's going to be a terrible place. Some of the words the Bible used to describe what it's going to be like. One is isolation. It often talks about how people will be cast out into the lake of fire, isolation, meaning isolated from God, isolated from other people, darkness, which in the Bible is not just the absence of physical light. It's the absence of everything good. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. You've probably heard of that one. Uh, weeping because we cry, you know, we cry because we're sad. Gnashing of teeth, which is a, a sign of regret and remorse. Words like suffering and pain and torment, fire. Uh, Bible scholars disagree on the fire about, well, is that going to be literal fire? It talks about the lake of fire and is there going to be in burning? Is, there, is that really going to happen? Is that literal fire? Or is that just what God is using to help us understand that it's going to be uh, not a good experience and that's something we can't experience? We can't understand from this dimension that it'll be different in the next dimension. And that's possible because the Bible uses other ways to describe what it'll be like too. Other than fire, I don't know. I don't plan to find out personally, but that's a thing. The worst part of hell is right here. And this is the essence of it. And that is separation from God. We've been talking about heaven and how the best part of heaven is the fact that God is going to be there. The worst part of hell is that God won't be there. And that has a lot that goes with it. Because we live in a broken world, but still a world in which God is in everything. And the Bible says that everything good comes from the father of lights, that that 
God rains down his blessing, not just on his followers, but on everybody. Theologians call it common grace. So there's a lot of goodness in our world because of the, the involvement of God as he restrains evil and holds back sin. And, and it would be way worse here without him. But in heaven, I mean, excuse me, in hell, there'll be no him and all that comes with him. So imagine a place of nothing good. No love, no compassion, no blessing, no light, no smiles, no joy, no peace, no virtue, no significance, meaning, no purpose. Nothing that God brings to us here will be there. You know, sometimes people talk about hell like it's a party experience, right? Uh, I, I became a, uh, I, I graduated from high school in 1985, Huntsville High School Panthers. Anybody else graduate in 1985? Nobody's that old. Okay, that's fine. But in 1980, so in the, in the 80s, in the early 80s, um, 70, 1979, ACDC, Back in Black, came out. There was a song on there, uh, which was uh, Highway to Hell. You probably you may have heard it. You know, I'm on a I'm on the highway to hell. Now that I'm in the band, I can sing this. I'm on the highway to hell. Right. It's all about, you know, hey, all my friends are going to be there. It's going to be a party. And, you know, it's like Satan is there in the DJ booth, you know, spinning records. Come on, come on, come on. You know, and it's like, yeah, but that's not hell. Hell will not be that kind of party. It's not a place you want to go. It's not a place you have to go, but it's not a place you want to go. It's. It's a horrific experience for those who experience it. Now, one thing that good people, when I mean good people, I'm, I'm talking about Bible scholars, theologians, people who take the Bible seriously, maybe what you'd even call conservative uh, believers, meaning they base their beliefs on what, on, Bible, on what the Bible says, not just what they think, and uh, have a disagreement over the centuries about the duration of hell. And that's worth noting. And if you want to dive into that, you can. So some people are annihilationists. And some people are, I would call them maybe eternalists, meaning that hell goes on forever, eternal suffering. Some would say, no, it's that there's an end to it. And over the centuries, one of those has been prominent at any given time. Right now, it's the eternal view over the last couple hundred years has been kind of prominent at different times in church history. It's been the other view, the annihilation view that's been. And and the reason is, it's because the Bible uh, talks about both in some way. So. And there's hundreds of passages that talk about hell that refer to it in a way with words like this extinction, fully consumed, uh, that it'll be the end, slaughter, death, perish, destroyed. It look, makes it look like people there's an, it, it's finite, like people will face judgment and it'll be done. They'll be consumed. They'll be destroyed. It'll be finished for them. It's not forever and ever and ever. They'll suffer. Um, and then uh, People who believe in the forever suffering view would say, well, yeah, but, you know, just like the passage we looked at earlier, that's actually the main passage uh, for that view that we looked at Matthew 25 a few minutes ago would say, well, it says eternal suffering, like eternal life, eternal suffering. And so that says it seems like it should be that right. And think, okay, but the annihilationists would say, yeah, but maybe it's not the suffering in light of all these other passages. Maybe it's not the suffering that's eternal itself. It's the result of the suffering that's eternal and that the best correspondence to eternal life is eternal death, which has an end to it. But then people with the eternal view would say, well, no, it says what it says. And, it, you know, you got to and I don't know about all these other passages. So that's why there's disagreement. And if you want to know more about it, if you want to dive deeper, you should. And I'd be, you know, I don't know if it'd be fun, but you can't. And if you want to email me, I can send you some resources about that. That's just an area where good people disagree. 
But where every kind of conservative, Bible-believing, whatever person would say is, regardless of the duration, there is this place of judgment called hell. Another thing that we know is that nobody is in hell yet. Uh, you know, a lot of times people will think of hell as like where Satan's headquarters. And Satan is there, and when people die who don't know Jesus, they go there, and he's like assigns things, and he's like the tormentor in hell, and he's like in charge of it. He's the boss of hell. And that's not hell. Uh, he will not be the boss of hell. He will be the most notorious inmate in hell. In fact, the Bible says that after the final judgment, he and all the demons will be cast in the deepest part of hell. So it's not his headquarters. It's not where he's hanging out. Um, in fact, the Bible lets us know. He's like, well, where is he? Where does he hang out? Well, angels and demons are all around us all the time. They're right here, just in another dimension that we can't see. That's a whole other sermon series. And the Bible says he roams around on the earth and sometimes even makes appearances and talks to God in heaven. But one day he will be, and Revelation says that he will be cast out of heaven forever. And there will be a final judgment called the great white throne judgment. And at that time, angels and demons will be judged and they'll be thrown into the lake of fire. And all those, it says, whose names are not written in the book of life. It's like, well, how does my name get in the book of life? That's what Jesus does for us. But we'll be also thrown into the lake of fire. And that's when hell will be populated. So right now, nobody's in hell. We think, well, what about people who uh, are on their way there who will face that judgment? Where are they now? And the Old Testament calls it Sheol, the New Testament, Hades, as a kind of this holding place until that final judgment. So that's some of what the Bible teaches about hell. And, and if you're like me by now, you're like, hey, can we talk about something else? Like, how about Mother's Day? Love your mom. Call your mom every day. Right. Uh, you know, tell her how great she is. Write her a card. Oh, and that's next week. That's Mother's Day. Right. It is hard because of that question. Like, why would a good God send people to hell? How, how can you how can you have a loving God and hell? And that doesn't even make sense. Like, how can that make sense? And I think it's a really great question. And so let's think about that a little bit. And actually, what we're going to see is this, this, the, the topic teaches us a lot about God. That's really, really cool. And by the time you get to that, you realize, oh, OK, I, I kind of it, it's helpful. So let's think about God. First thing we need to know about God on this topic is that God is a just judge. He is fair. He will do what is right. We can trust him for that. But he is a just God. He yes, he's loving and gracious and all that, but he's also just. And there's there's a part of us that a part of humanity, right, that just demands that like we're made in his image. We're, we have this sense of justice, too. It's why when we see terrible atrocities around the world, we're like, somebody's got to do something. That's not right. You can't just do that and get away with that. Like there's got to be a reckoning, especially when you look at some of the horrible things that happen. I mean, I, I heard about one yesterday uh, of something that just happened in Sudan and it was somebody's story and what happened to their family. And it was just awful. And I thought, man, how God, you know, you ever wonder when you see all those atrocities? And this is a, another problem people have a lot of times with God is, God, how can you allow all this stuff to happen on the earth? It happens. How can you stay up there in heaven and not intervene? You just let all this stuff happen. And hell is the answer to that. That one day Jesus will return. There will be a final judgment and people will have a reckoning. And the Bible says he is storing up his wrath. For that moment, there is a reckoning and, and justice demands that. 
Now, that makes sense when we talk about people who do bad things in Sudan or terrorists or rapists or, you know, like really, really bad things. Right. You're like, yeah, get them. When it comes to our sin, it's like, oh, that's not that big a deal. Right. Like my sin's kind of cute. You know, right? Or it's not that bad. I mean, okay, it's a little bad, but it's not that bad. It's not like I'm Osama bin Laden or something. Like it's like, I mean, I'm not Mother Teresa, but still, I mean, I, you know, I'm somewhere, I'm, I'm closer to Teresa, right? Or, and, and, and so, and, and that's just because we think that way because we don't understand the holiness of God. We don't understand sin because it's like smelling our own stink. Wednesday, I forgot to put on deodorant when I went to work, and I, and I knew I did. Because when I pulled it out of the driveway, I was like, you know, I never put it out. I'd be like, ah, it'll be fine. And I thought I was fine until I took off my shirt at night and realized, oh, no, it wasn't fine. So I'm sorry for whoever I met with on Wednesday. Because, you know, we kind of are used to our own stink. It's not that bad. Same way with our sin. We can do that. But sin is actually, compared to the holiness of God, all of us deserve hell. You may think, no, I don't. We do. Now, the good news is that's not the end of the story because God is a loving Savior. That's where it gets really amazing. The Bible says God's mercy triumphs over his judgment, his justice. Um, Because God is the judge who can't just, justice is not saying, oh, forget about it. No problem. That's not justice. The Bible says, by no means will the guilty go unpunished. By no means will the guilty go unpunished. God's justice must be satisfied. But God, who is the just judge, found a way by sending his son Jesus into this world to not only pronounce the sentence, but to satisfy the sentence on behalf of the guilty so that they wouldn't have to. So they wouldn't have to. That God is both the judge and the savior. He he chose to come and take the penalty for sin that you and I deserve on himself. That's what the cross is about. Jesus didn't die on the cross for the fun of it or to make jewelry out of it. He died on the cross to satisfy the justice of God for our sin. And in Romans 8, it says, for what the law was powerless to do, meaning trying to be good enough for God, that's the law. That won't get you anywhere. Think, well, maybe my good will outweigh my bad. Don't. That is not a good plan. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. He died not for his sin. He didn't have any. He died for your sin and my sin as our sacrifice. That was prophesied back in Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace, peace with God, was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Jesus came to satisfy God's just demands so that we would not be and we would not get what we deserve. And he offers forgiveness and all that freely as a gift the Bible says, because we can't pay for it. Now, a lot of people asked, you know, people sent in questions. Well, what about, I mean, okay, I get that. Jesus came and that's cool. But what about those who've never heard? What about that? That's a great question. And the Bible talks about that in Romans 1. And it, and, and he didn't give us everything, but he tells us this much, that he is a good judge, right? He'll, he'll figure that out. But it says that he judges people not based on what they don't know, but based on what they do know, the revelation they do have. That's all I know. And I know that God is just and far more gracious than you and I are. And he'll work that out. 
Next thing we need to understand about God in this topic is that he is a grieving father. You, know, you think, well, I don't want anybody to go to hell. Well, take that feeling times a trillion and you'll start to understand God's heart. Because he loves people way more than you do. He loves you way more than you can imagine. That's why he sent his son Jesus into this world to take the penalty for sin. And he offers forgiveness and freedom from judgment as a gift just simply to be received. He's done everything for it. And his heart is that everybody would say yes to that. If you ever heard of the prodigal son story where Jesus is trying to help us understand the heart of the father, where you know, God is the father, the son goes away, does terrible things and comes back. And he, he feels, I don't know that I'll never be allowed back because it's not fair. And grace isn't fair. God isn't fair. God is gracious. And he and so it says he's way better than fair. And in his heart, he longs every day to, looking for his son to return for those who are lost to him to come back. And Jesus said, that's what the father is like. Second, Peter three, nine says he does not want anyone to be destroyed. Talking about judgment and hell, but he wants everyone to repent. That's even why he's, Jesus is waiting to come back for people to say yes to him. That's his heartbeat. And, you know, that's why we as a church are the kind of church we are. Meaning a church for people who don't go to church. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute because his heart is for those who have not come to him yet. And you think, well, okay, if God made that possible and that's his heart, then why didn't you just make everybody say yes? It's another good question, right? And the answer is it's a relationship that he wants. He doesn't want robots. He doesn't want to, He's not going to make people say yes to him. He's not going to make people love him. I don't know if you've ever loved anybody that never loved you back. It's their choice, right? It's sad. That's the sadness that he feels because it's a relationship. Peter Kraft talks about it this way. Those who do not wish to love God must be allowed not to love him. Those who do not want to be with God must be allowed to be separated from him. That's why there's a hell. I'm going to take that a little bit further with a, a pastor buddy of mine up in Boston. His name is Brian Wilkerson. If you ever go to Boston or move to Boston, um, then check him out. He's, he's really great. I haven't hung out with him in a long time, but he's a really great guy. But he adds to that this, and it's profound, and it's a long quote, so stay with me. The answer then to the question, why would a good God send people to hell, is that he doesn't. But he will let people go there if they so choose. Hell is not some eternal torture chamber God has constructed to inflict pain on people he doesn't like. Hell is simply a place where God is not, so that people who don't want to spend eternity with him don't have to. Hell is an alternate destination for people who don't want to go to heaven. But who in their right mind would choose hell over heaven, you ask? People do it all the time. People choose every day to live their lives apart from God, to ignore him, deny him, or, or even rebel against him. Every day people choose to live, live their lives apart from God, and God allows them to do so. If they want to live apart from him for all eternity, he will allow them to do that as well. C.S. Lewis suggests that if the doors of hell are locked, they are locked from the inside. People who go there choose to go there. And if given the option of leaving, Lewis suggests they would choose to stay. 
They prefer to live in darkness, isolation, and stubborn denial of their need for God. Hell is a place for people who don't want to go to heaven. Hell is a place for people who don't want, who want the absence of God. But that's it's a really bad choice, but it is a choice. And with all that God's done to make heaven a, a potential re, a, a reality and to avoid hell, that leaves us like saying, well, okay, what do we do with this? Well, for one thing, that choice may be your choice today. Because God has done everything necessary. We talked about the rescue mission that Jesus came for, right? Jesus came. He took the penalty for sin that you and I deserve. That's why he died on the cross, to satisfy God's justice. The Bible says the wages of sin, what we deserve, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. He offers heaven as a gift. He offers life with him that starts now and lasts forever as a gift. And you can say yes or you can say no. But it's right there in front of you. And today would be the best day ever. I would say to say yes to that. He paid for it with the life of Jesus on that cross. Offers it freely to you and me. In a little bit, we're going to pray and give you an opportunity to just say that to God. Just say yes. What does that mean for those of us who have said yes? Who say, well, I'm a Christian and... This is interesting about hell and all that. Well, it's not just interesting. It should really drive urgency in our lives. The same kind of urgency that God has for those who are lost to him. I mean, that's what we're doing here. Like we're here because we're part of this rescue mission that Jesus started when he came here. And he handed the rescue mission off to this group, crazy group of people called church. And he's given you and me gifts and abilities and he's given us time and resources and we can choose to be part of that rescue mission or not. But Jesus would say, but he, he invites us to be part of that mission and the heart of God would say the urgency of God. Like the prodigal, like the father of the prodigal son would say, please make the passion of your life my passion. And that is helping people who are lost to me find me and find life with me. As a church, as I mentioned earlier, we're a church built around that mission. We're a church built around being a church for people who don't go to church, where people can come as they are. And all of our campuses are designed to be environments where we can invite our friends, where they can, like the disciples said to each other, come and see, come check it out. And sometimes people will say, well, I don't know about that. I, I think church is supposed to be for those who are church people, not for those who aren't here. And that's messed up. Because the thing that gave birth to the church was that rescue mission. In the heart of the Father, you know, we've been talking about heaven. You know, the one thing that he told us, Jesus told us, that makes heaven celebrate now, heaven 1.0, is every time one person who's lost to God comes to relationship with God through faith in Jesus, every single time that happens, it says heaven rejoices. Heaven throws a party. Every single time, because God's heart is for every single person. And man, what I want around this place is that I, I want to keep heaven in party mode because of Chase Oaks Church. And that's the heart of the Father. And of course we do church for people who don't go to church. Because that's what gave birth to the church. That's why we're here. And let's not forget it. And let's not get grumpy about it. You know, if they, well, I want it to be more for me. 
No, it's, it's, a, it's a heart of God. He's the leader of our church. He's the one that's given us the mission. And we're going to do whatever it takes to reach people who don't know him. And yet we're going to grow in the faith just like the disciples did who lived the mission. We'll grow in the faith as we're doing the mission. But we're going to build our lives and build our church around the mission. And that's true not just when we're gathered as a church, but also when we're scattered as individuals. God has placed you in your family, in your schools, on your teams, in your neighborhoods, at work, for a purpose, to be light there. To love people so well that they're like, why are you the way you are? So in First Peter says, well, be ready to answer the question of, hey, what makes you the way you are? What makes you tick? To say, well, it's Je- I mean, it's, it's, it's Jesus, and here's what he's doing in my life. And, here's... and we get to share the story. And we get to be part of what God's doing, which is stinking cool. I mean, I'm excited I got to be part of the band. That's awesome. Playing the cowbell. But what I'm really excited about is I have a role to play here. To be part of the mission of this place. But the truth is, you do too. You're not here by accident. You're here because God wants you to be here. You're, you're like on the team. You're not a spectator. You're on the team and God's given you gifts and abilities and time and resources and experiences that he wants to use to do in this community and do in this world and do wherever you are, wherever you are online to use you to be part of that rescue mission. And I encourage you to just dive in with both feet into what God is doing and take whatever next steps he will call you to take. And with that in mind, With a God who is so gracious that he's just, but his mercy triumphs over his justice. So much so that he would take the penalty on himself. That's a God worth worshiping and celebrating. And so let's pray together. Just praying is just talking to God our own words. And and some of you may have business to do with God. Meaning, you know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life. Hell does not have to be a scary reality for you personally because it's completely avoidable. He doesn't want you to go there. He wants you to say yes. It's not just about what happens after you die. It's how he wants to begin to change you now, too. But you can say yes to him right now. That's it. You say, okay, God, you love me. I'm going to say I love you back. You've committed everything for me. I commit my life to you. And the Bible says that once we commit to him, he commits to us and he will not deny us. And nothing can separate us from his love once we may take that step and nothing. And for those who just prayed that prayer, that's what it means to have a relationship with God. It's just the beginning of a forever relationship with him. For those of us who've taken that step, maybe it's an opportunity to do different business with God. Just say, God. Help me be much more urgent about your mission. God, just put a, just put passion in me, the same kind of love that drives you to do all the, the, do the unthinkable that you did so that people can, who are lost can be found. God, help me be, have that same kind of passion. Help me share your passion for those who are lost to you. To do whatever I can, to love people, to engage people, to invite people, to serve, to care for those who are hurting. God, just help me be part of that mission in a fresh way. Father, we thank you for your justice and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.